Hello and welcome to this edition of the Amy and Flo Talking Magazine show. I'm Amy. And I'm Florence. And we are proud to bring you this November edition of our podcast. I'm really excited because it's only our second podcast. And we've managed to get uh, listeners from all over the world. Singapore. Singapore. How did that happen? Singapore. Estonia. Germany. France. No, we didn't know That's the problem. What are you doing in France? We would like some Francais or some Italiano or Espanol. Where are you? None of you people have come on. Definitely. The more nationalities we can get listening to our podcast, the better. So if you're listening in and you know someone in Spain or Italy or France that might enjoy a few random stories from Northern Ireland or even from all the rest of the places on the globe, please recommend that they listen to our podcast. Today we'll have some really interesting stories about animals. Yes, about criminals. Stolen things. Quizzes. Oh yes, the quiz and auctions and I will be having a look at all the different Belfasts all across the world. So enjoy this episode. Amy, how about a, a November quiz? I love a November quiz. I like a November quiz much better than a September quiz, where uh, I don't think it did very well last September. <laughs> I don't know how well you'll do in the And I actually either. forgot there all about October and completely <laughs> neglected the months of October. Well, this is a November quiz, and here we begin. November is the only month to be mentioned by name in what? The Doomsday Book, Shakespeare's Plays, or the Phonetic Alphabet. It's the only month to be mentioned by name in what? A. The Doomsday Book, B. Shakespeare's Plays, or C. The Phonetic Alphabet. Okay? What are the birthstones for the month of November? Is it A. Topaz and Citrine, B. Tourmaline and Opal? Or is it C, Tanzanite and Turquoise? The birthstones for the month of November, A, Topaz and Citrine, B, Tourmaline and Opal, or C, Tanzanite and Turquoise. Right. Elections are held in the United States on what day of the week in November? Very topical. A, Monday, B, Tuesdays, or C, Thursdays? So when will the election be held in the United States this month? A on a Monday, B on a Tuesday, or C on a Thursday? Okay. According to research published in 2008, what group are most likely to be born in November? A, monarchs, that's kings and queens. B, serial killers, you know who they are and C, politicians. And I'm not distinguishing between the serial killers and the politicians. According to research in 2008, what group are most likely to be born in November? A, monarchs like kings and queens, B, serial killers, or C, politicians. How do you think you're doing so far? As usual, there are a fair smattering of guesses going to be offered. That's acceptable. There's no trick questions. The answer's in there somewhere, folks. 
On November the 30th, 1952, the first documented occurrence of what kind of event was recorded? A. A teenager held her breath underwater for 33 minutes. <laughs> B. A human being was struck by lightning. Or C. A human being was struck by a meteor. On November the 30th, 1952, saw the first documented occurrence of what event that was recorded? A. A teenager held her breath underwater for 33 minutes. B. A human being was struck by lightning. Or C. A human being was struck by a meteor. Okay, Amy. How do you think you're going to fare with Do you know what? Selection? I think I might get a couple of them right, but... Right. Well, yeah, I'm well, gonna go for for two out of five. Are there oh, five there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's... we are gonna hold you to that, girl. Okay. Well, what have you got for us now, Amy? Well, you remember I used to like these stories from the Guardian about different people's experiences. Uh huh. And I've got one today that I thought might appeal because it it reminded me of stories that we've done from um, Pauline uh, <laughs> in New Zealand. It reminded me of that in a way. So this one's from the Guardian Experience series by um, uh, Phil Declare Constantine, and it's from. Uh, July 2020. It's called I Find a Fortune in a Charity Shop. Lucky devil. Yep. Sounds like something Aunt Pauline would like. Yes. Yep. Okay. This guy, his name is Andy Houston. He says, I work for a charity in central London. And in 2012, there was an animal welfare charity shop near my office called Paws. I'd go in there in my lunch break, mostly to chat to Michelle, the friendly lady who ran the shop. There was always loads of stuff in there. I guessed to Michelle it was organised chaos. You'd see the same people come and sit in there every day for a bit of company. It was a real community hub. I was there one day when a hippie couple started unloading a camper van of hundreds of books. I noticed a copy of The Hobbit. Weirdly, I'd bought a new copy a few weeks previously because I wanted to read it again before the film came out, but I'd lost it. I thought, oh, that's lucky, I can carry on reading now. And underneath it was a slightly racy cartoon magazine from the 70s, which I picked up for an artist friend. Michelle said I could have the two for a pound. Hmm. It was a nice book. The dust jacket had an illustration of trees and mountains in blue, green and black with Tolkien's name beneath. I started reading it on the train back and forth to work. I'm not a fast reader, so I was still getting through it a month or so later when, as I was leaving work, a woman from our finance team came up to me, having spotted it in my hand. She said it looked old and that I should look into whether it was worth anything. You can see where this is going. Oh, yes. I ended up down an internet hole looking at first editions of The Hobbit. I learned that there were 1,500 copies printed in the first run in 1937. You can check if you have one by looking for the reference to Lewis Lutwidge Dodgson, better known by his pen name Lewis Carroll, printed in the notes about the novel on the dust jacket. On the first edition, his name was misspelled, 
whereas D-O-D-G-E-S-O-N and had to be hand corrected by the publishers. I checked the back and found the crossed out E. I was thinking this can't be. As luck would have it, my girlfriend Jenna was working as an event coordinator at Christie's at the time. So she put me in contact with a specialist in the books department. And I talked him through the details and I remember saying, I think I remember him saying, I think you might have a very valuable book on your hands. I wrapped it in a pair of pants, put it inside a sandwich bag, the way you do, <laughs> and took it in to show him. And he asked, uh, I, he asked me what I thought it was worth. I'd done my research and said that I was hoping for about £7,000. He agreed that was a good estimate. I had to wait four months for an auction. It ended up happening a few weeks before the Hobbit film came out, so there's a lot of interest. The auction started at 2.30 in one of the rooms at Christie's with about 40 buyers in attendance. Most of the lots before mine were going for about £2,000 and I was thinking even if I make 500 quid, it would still be amazing. I only paid 50p for it. <laughs> so when it came to my book and the auctioneer said, we'll start the bidding at £3,000, I was already thrilled. The bids started going up in jumps of 500, 4,000 pounds, 4,500, 5,000 pounds. My heart was racing. 6,000 pounds, 6,500, 7,000 pounds. I started to feel a bit nauseous, but was trying to hold it together. The bidding had reached 10 grand before I knew it. It was very quiet in the room. My girlfriend had come to watch with a couple of her colleagues. As it got to £13,000, they were mouthing, oh my God, to me. Finally, it went for £16,000. <gasps> I was 28 at the time. I didn't have any serious life pressures, but I'd been, I'd been in debt in the past. All I knew was that I couldn't piss it up the wall. I'm not the sort of person who has a rich relative to leave the money to fall back on. My girlfriend persuaded me to put on a photography exhibition. Something, yeah, because that's not pushing it up the wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was something he'd always wanted to do. Then I spent the rest on a deposit for a flat. I would never have been able to get the money together to buy my own place without it. We're still living here now. I carried on going back to pause until it closed a couple of years ago. I made a small anonymous donation, but never told them what had gone on. I know it sounds strange, but I didn't want to change the relationship. I just popped in the next lunchtime as if nothing had happened. <laughs> what do you think about that? I just popped in as if yeah, nothing yeah. had happened. You know, I hadn't made how much did he say there? Sixteen, 16 grand wow. for a fifty p book. Yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for the couple that left it in as well. How many times does this happen with people leaving antiques in and all the rest of it? I mean, well, you hear about it, don't you, in the uh, antiques roadshow? Yeah. People fish things out of a skip and it turns out like to, to be, be a Ming vase yeah, or, or something like really that. Really assaulting. Just, just as yeah. long as it's not the Fasano vase, which is something we will oh, be talking about will, at a later date. That like. is covered in one of our 
our uh, archive editions, you'll be able to hear about that one. Yes. Now, talking about auctions and things like that, we'll keep it on the theme because in the Irish news uh, a few days ago, I actually found this little piece and it is Hitler's speeches sell at auction. Handwritten speech notes by Adolf Hitler have sold at auction in Munich despite concerns from Jewish groups that they could encourage neo-Nazis. The Hermann Historia Auction House defended the sale of the manuscripts, all dated before the outbreak of the First World War, saying they were of historical significance, which they probably were. The documents all sold to an anonymous bidders with a nine-page manuscript by Hitler outlining his speech to new military officers in Berlin in 1939, about eight months before the beginning of the war fetching a top price off, and this was more than your book, 34,000 euro, which equivalents to about 30,000 <laughs> pounds. Oh. So, did you, did yeah. you rush out? Did you want that for Christmas, I, Amy? Did, I know. I, you, did, you were the anonymous bidder. I was, I was. Yeah. But while we're at it, and we're talking about old things, and you know how I love, you know, archite old architecture and auctions and all those things your granny instilled this in me i find this little piece shoppers in dublin Lidl store are given a glimpse into the city's medieval past i love to see this a glimpse into dublin's medieval past is on show for shoppers at a Lidl store in the city Visitors to the shop on Angier Street are able to see the remains of an 11th century house under a glass section of the floor. I see them doing that. The discovery was made during excavations of the site, which is close to Dublin Castle. Information panels and artwork interpreting the remains are also displayed throughout the new store. Paul Duffy from IAC Archaeology told the RTE it is a domestic structure so you would have to imagine that there would have been a suburb here at uh, uh, Hibernian Norse Dubliners who were effectively the ancestors of the Vikings. There's also another glass panel located close to the store's checkouts <laughs> which showcases an 18th century pit trap associated with the stage workings of the former Angier Street Theatre. Lindsay Simpson, consultant archaeologist on the project, said, We are delighted that such a meaningful part of the theatre was found, recognised and is now presented to the public. I think it's really fantastic that Lidl is displaying it right in front of their tills. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Imagine that. What an attraction to your local yeah. Lidl. And isn't yeah. it really good that they thought to do that? Of course, Dublin is in complete, uh, the Republic's in complete lockdown. Right. So yeah. I'm afraid we can't go to look at that. <laughs> no. Uh, get a bit better. Okay, so we were saying we had listeners from all over the world and we didn't really understand how they get to, <laughs> how us. They get to us or why they had chosen to listen in to a, a magazine show that is pretty much about Northern Ireland and Belfast and Indeed. stories of things that happen in Belfast. So it occurred to me that maybe people were listening because they were mixed up 
and they lived in a different place called Belfast. And there are a few. There, there are quite a few places called Belfast. In fact, it turns out there are 14 different places called Belfast in the world and a number of cities and a number of smaller towns. So the cities that there are called Belfast, there's um, one in Pennsylvania, one in Maine, one in New York, one on Prince Edward Island in Canada, there's our own in Northern Ireland, and there's one in South Africa. So I thought I'd have a look and see what I could find out about these other Belfast around idea. the world. Right? So, the towns also include smaller ones in New Zealand, ah. and there's one in Jamaica. Hello, New Zealand listeners. Hello, Hello Belfast, New Zealand. Hello, Belfast, Jamaica. So, I imagine if I ever got to do a world tour of all of the Belfasts, I might start in sunny Jamaica. And I began looking there, but it proved almost impossible to find out anything about it. So, what I know from booking.com, there are three hotels, including the Whispering Bamboo Resort that looks especially appealing. And one tourism review said entirely unflatteringly um, that there is a place called Belfast in Jamaica, but there are a number of nicer places not too far away. <laughs> if your tourist site said that about you. Yeah, yeah, it does exist, but you know, don't go there. The one news story I found was actually from the New York Times, saying how the spiralling violence in Kingston, Jamaica, actually made a visit there more like a visit to Belfast, Northern Ireland. <laughs> and it was written in 1976. Well, it would be, yeah. So, nothing much to report from Belfast, Jamaica. Still, in pursuit of the sun, what about Belfast in South Africa? That sounds nice. That sounds good. It's in a province called Impumalanga. 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 So, right, Google, what have you got to say about this Belfast then? Wikipedia has an entry about it. So it trumps Belfast Jamaica in that way. <laughs> the map shows it's nowhere near the coast, so its attraction as a tourist destination diminished a bit there. The wiki says the town is renowned for its excellent trout fishing conditions. Sheep and dairy farming take place here, as well as maize, potatoes and timber are produced. Around, this is interesting, around 6 million tulip bulbs are produced oh. here annually for export and the flowers are all discarded. What? They keep the bulbs and they throw away all the tulip flowers. Huh. Uh, Belfast is 2,025 metres above sea level and therefore it's one of the coldest and highest towns in South Africa. So not oh, unlike Belfast, Northern Ireland. Jeez. And apparently the town was named after Richard Charles O'Neill from Belfast, Northern Ireland, who owned the farm on which the town was built. The South Africa tourist site, though, reveals that Belfast is the undiscovered jewel of South Africa offering great sightseeing possibilities and natural beauty that can be seen 
anywhere in the town, Belfast will keep you and the family entertained and mesmerised for days. So they actually do a much better job than Jamaica does for Belfast in Jamaica. Possibly Northern Ireland. <laughs> it also has a famous pub, pub, a famous pub yeah. called The Pig and Pickle, whose Facebook site shows it to be a bustling, homely sort of a bar with a great range of cocktails on offer, which you would never expect from looking at it from the outside where it looks like it's been knocked up from a pile of discarded timber and a few suits of corrugated <laughs> iron. So, Belfast, South Africa is a possibility for a visit and the Pig and Pickle is on my must-do list for the Raspberry Mimosa cocktail, which they had on Facebook and it looked absolutely delicious. And I'll, I'll grab myself an arm full of tulips and go and catch some trout while I'm there. <clears throat> so... What about Belfast, New Zealand? Um, what do you know about Belfast, New Zealand? No, I've never had one. And I've been do. there twice. Uh, another very short Wikipedia entry for this one. Um, this one tells me that Belfast, New Zealand is a suburb of Christchurch on the South Island. It has a number of other names. In the past, Belfast was known as North Road District, Seven Mile Peg, Sticks with an X, or by its Maori name, Pura Rekanui. James McKnight Watt, who died in 1892, emigrated from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and was a partner in the original meat works around which the settlement grew up. Watt, who developed much of the area, is believed to have given its, its present name, and almost all the famous Belfast New Zealand people are associated with rugby and the All Blacks, although there's also one cricketer. I say famous, but I haven't actually heard of any of them, but my rugby and cricket knowledge is really lacking. <laughs> News from Belfast, New Zealand is light on the ground, but I did like this story from nearby Christchurch, which I found on newshub.co.nz. And don't say I don't do my research. A rare plant worth $5,000 was stolen from Christchurch Botanic Gardens. This is back in October 20. The Christchurch Botanic Gardens have fallen victim to an indoor plant craze sweeping across New Zealand. A sought-after tropical plant, a rare variegated monstera, was stolen in broad daylight. Both police and the council are looking into the scene of the crime and there is a witness. There has been a witness who actually saw a person walk out of here with a plant in their bag. Pauline, I told you not to do it. You've been caught on. Christchurch Botanic Gardens director Wolfgang Bopp says, <laughs> House plants are becoming increasingly popular with punters paying thousands for them online. The thief climbed a giant glass wall at the Christchurch Botanic Gardens to steal the single plant. Wow. It might have been two people leg up over the glass barrier and the plant was right at the back there, Bob says. The rare variegated Monstera could do well on the black market, worth up to $5,000 for the entire plant or sold in six or seven separate cuttings. 
you could get a cutting maybe off it for a thousand dollars, Bob says. Monstera plants are hard to come by in New Zealand due to the country's strict biosecurity laws. There are nine cameras protecting the plants at the Christchurch Botanic Gardens. The report says plant enthusiasts are guessing the thief won't get peace from their pilfered plants. <laughs> Why would you say that? Is it a cursed plant? <laughs> There'll be no peace in the <laughs> Really? Okay, so when we're back next time, I will tell you a bit more about some of the other Belfasts, ones in New York and Pennsylvania and Maine. And take a look at how they are all responding to the yes election and how they are preparing for Christmas. Oh, I look forward to that. Well, talking about other sorts of criminals, I spotted this little bit and I thought, this sort of tickles my curiosity a bit. Now, it's quite a small piece, but it says, Woman stopped for drink driving, as you do, allegedly threw animal at what? officers. Yeah, she threw an animal at the officers. Like this piqued my curiosity. A county down woman stopped by the police for drinking uh, and driving allegedly threw an animal at the officers, a court has heard. Elizabeth Ann Toner did not appear at Antrim Magistrates Court where the 55-year-old was charged with two offences arising from an incident on May the 31st this year. Toner from the Bally Wilwill Road in Castle Wilm is accused of driving on the Donsilly roundabout with excess alcohol in breath and assaulting a police officer in the due execution of his duty. Chris Sheridan defending revealed that the offence related to an allegement that Toner threw an animal at the police, adding that she denies that offence. He told the district judge, Nigel Broderick, the contest would need to hear evidence from three officers who were at the scene, plus the defendant herself, agreeing it would take up to 90 minutes to have the trial, which is listed from November the 11th, so I can't tell you what it was. But what got me about this bit, what did she throw? What animal? What animal? Was it a cat and, or a dog? Oh. Was it a sick dog or cat that she'd been taken to the vet? What an animal? There are so many questions with that story. And why were there three, three police officers? Oh, that's what I thought. And only one animal. You know, and only one animal. And I mean, I thought, well, then I thought, well, maybe it was a stuffed animal. It could have. Well, well then I thought. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is a stuffed toy animal. Yeah. I, I mean, but that, 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 imagine a police officer standing up in court and saying that, oh, she, she assaulted me with, with a, a teddy bear. A teddy bear, a toy, a toy dog. Yeah, yeah. one of them ones with the naughty heads that I have in my car. Or, yeah. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. Was it a stuffed animal? Like, how would you get your window down rolling up for a, for a gorilla? Like a stuffed taxi dermy animal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, how would you get... How would you get it rolled down? I don't know you know, you know, might have been to the vet picking up your taxidermied hat <laughs> again and that you were very fond of, but then you're really annoyed with the police stopping <laughs> and you go out and get drunk. I can't stand I get I get I get it stuffed here and I get yeah. drunk. You know, and cry over it. Could have been one of them fish that people get. But stuffed. stuffed 
Why would uh, you know that so many? Well, one paper did that story this come is from? from the Irish news. Uh, I really like we should write to them and ask for more details. Yeah, I, I just I cannot wait to read the rest of this trial in the Irish if, news. If we were proper reporters for this podcast, we would be asking for one of those data disclosure orders that tells us <laughs> more information about that. But I've got another little one to read here because um, there's lots of excuses. And here's one, and it says, fan hijacked accused acting out of curiosity. (laughs) I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why you would hijack a fan, but that is the weirdest reasoning I've ever heard. A man charged with hijacking an Amazon delivery van in West Belfast, could only happen there, only acted out of curiosity, a court heard. Christopher McDade, 33, allegedly involved in seizing the vehicle and stealing the parcels from it on Sunday, police said another suspect claimed the pair took heroin before they were arrested. But a defence lawyer insisted McDade was not part of any sophisticated hijacking <laughs> plot. The transit van was taken as the driver made a delivery to a house in Cooper Street, Lower. It was later found on fire at the Ballygo Martin uh, Road. McDade of Mona Parade was arrested by detectives investigating the seizure. A 28-year-old man also detained as being released on police bail. McDade appeared at Belfast Magistrates Court on charges of hijacking, stealing Amazon delivery parcels and handling stolen goods. A detective claimed he made admissions about drug use in interviews. Barrister Michael Boyd defending stressed that McDade is not alleged to have been the person who seized the delivery van. His case is he noticed the van being taken and out of curiosity, he followed it a short distance, counsel said. And whenever the individual who had taken the van left, Mr McDade then picked up a couple of packages from the back of it which were of no use to him. A district judge, Fiona Bagnell, remanded him in custody to appear on November the 24th. Now, if I was going to do something out of curiosity, why, why would I follow a stolen van? But even more interesting is, what were the packages that were so useless to him? I mean, Anything off Amazon. The, the trucks must be full of a whole lot of things that are just of no use to almost anybody. They're just coming down with useless stuff. <laughs> I hear people ordering useless stuff. And I mean, Do you know they, what? Maybe there was a stuffed animal inside. Yeah, of my gosh, maybe there was a stuffed animal. That could be. So, staying with books and stolen stuff. How about this one from the BBC back in September, where stolen books worth two and a half million pounds were found under the floor of a Romanian house. Wow. About 200 irreplaceable books worth more than two and a half million pounds, which were stolen from a warehouse in London, have been found buried under the floor of a house in rural Romania, please say. The works include first editions of Galileo and Isaac Newton. 
They were taken by thieves on January 2017 who cut holes in the roof of the warehouse in Felton, then abseiled in, dodging the censors. The men were, were identified as being part of a Romanian organised crime gang. The gang is responsible for a series of high-value warehouse burglaries across the UK, London's Metropolitan Police said in a statement. Officers discovered the books underground during a search of a house in the region of Nempt in northeastern Romania on the Wednesday that this story came out in September. The find follows raids on 45 addresses across the UK, Romania and Italy in June 19. Investigators say 13 people have been charged, 12 of whom have already pleaded guilty. The hoard includes rare versions of Dante and sketches by the Spanish painter Francesco de Goya, as well as the titles by Galileo and Isaac Newton, dating back to the 16th and 17th centuries. I'm wondering, did the thieves steal them, <laughs> then look at the box and go, there's nothing here worth that many of us to be, and George will just stick them under the floorboard. These, <laughs> these books are extremely valuable. But more important, they are irreplaceable and are of great importance to international cultural heritage, said Detective Inspector Andy Durham from the Metropolitan Police's Specialist Crime South Command. The works were being stored in a warehouse ahead of being transported to a specialist book auction in Las Vegas in the US where they were stolen. Maybe the same one that had your man's <laughs> copy of The Hobbit. <laughs> The thieves cut through the roof of the warehouse in Belton near Heathrow Airport and abseiled 12 metres or 40 feet to the ground, dodging movement sensors according to AFP News Agency. They spent hours rummaging through bags before making off with their haul by the same route. Investigators say the Romanian gang flies members into the UK to commit specific offences, then flies them out shortly afterwards with different members taking the stolen property out of the country by alternative transport methods. The group is said to be linked to a number of prominent Romanian crime families who form part of the Clamparu crime group. Wow. Well, yeah. here, I wonder what state they were in if they were underneath a Romanian floor. I they know. Must have been totally dumped. Well, they maybe wrapped them in their pants <laughs> and <laughs> Christmas market, okay, in Belfast. The popular Belfast Christmas market will not take place this year, organisers confirmed. For the first time in 15 years, the month-long event, which attracts thousands of people to the grounds of Belfast City Hall, has been cancelled in the interests of public health and safety. Amid the continuing coronavirus pandemic, there's been doubts about whether the event could take place in 2020 due to social distancing issues at the market and travel restrictions on many of the stall holders who come from everywhere. And yesterday's organisers said it could not go ahead this year. In a statement, the organisers of the Belfast Christmas Market said, unfortunately, despite everyone's best efforts in the interests of public health and safety, it has not been decided that it will not be appropriate to go ahead with this year's Belfast Christmas Market. 
Obviously, we're very disappointed. And this will be the first time in 15 years that the marketplace has not had a presence in the city. However, given the current health crisis, we do believe that this is the correct decision. We're wishing you all well and thanking you for your continued support. And we hope you have an amazing Christmas and hopefully we will see you next year. You liked the Christmas market, Amy, didn't you? Well, I liked it sometimes. Um, but it was absolutely elbow to elbow. Anytime I went there, jam-packed. And I can imagine yeah. why. And it would be impossible for stallholders who came from all over Europe to, to be there and risk missing out on their own Christmases at home yeah. because they'd come to Belfast for our market. Even if they could get a plane to fly in. I mean, yeah, it's probably safest, but it's a bit sad for Belfast. But uh, I'm not a big one into, I'll read a small bit, I'm not big into that British Bake Off and all those, <laughs> I hate cooking, cook, cook, I hate cooking. Well, then you'll know that an Armagh man was voted off Bake Off. A Portadown man, Mark Luton, is the sixth contestant to be voted off the Great British Bake Off after a disastrous avocado-themed showstopper. The 27-year-old failed to impress during the Japanese-themed week. Judge Paul Hollywood said, It's cruel to say that it's inevitable, but it's getting there. Yeah, no, I was <laughs> very, I did see it, and I was very sad oh, to see it go. Um, but I was even more annoyed that I hadn't watched it on the night that it was on, on the Tuesday night. I'd recorded it and watched something else. And when I woke up on Wednesday morning, BBC Radio Ulster had uh, an article on the radio that okay. just says, oh, and we'll be interviewing the guy who got knocked out of the bake off on the show in 10 minutes time so what an earth spoiler spoiler yeah. alert what could be a, an incredible avocado <laughs> showstopper well, it did look it did look like a really? really yeah it did look like a lovely avocado uh, it was a, like an avocado cartoon and it was very clever it was oh. well done i'll but, take your word for it uh, i wouldn't have <laughs> fancied eating it in all fairness but it did look good <laughs> And because this is one of our first podcasts and uh, we're sitting here in my home office in front of a big classic traditional looking microphone um, on, its, on its own stand here, I find this story from Donald Clancy's Mindshift blog. Now, this blog always has lots of interesting short snippets of information about history and politics, literature and poetry, and it's always worth a quick look. So... In October, he wrote this article that appealed to me. It says, an amazing enabling technology or a medieval instrument of torture. The microphone perched on a stage in front of a room of people is a very strong indicator of the dividing line between extroverts and introverts. The extroverts race forward to grasp this wonderful tool, which can usually project their voice to hundreds of people and the introverts Exit pursued by a bear. <laughs> Amongst the PR community in Ireland, Bertie Ahern, former Taoiseach or Prime Minister, was famous for his microphone rule. It was very simple. Never be the first one to speak into a microphone. We've all heard the croaks and squeals and whines and feedback that occurs when you set up a microphone. 
We've all seen people make idiots of themselves speaking for half a minute into a dead microphone and the confusion to find out when it's where it's switched off or it's unplugged. All of these events are guaranteed to make a public speaker look like an idiot. But if you come second to the microphone, you can approach it with the confidence in the knowledge that the technology is now working and the rest is up to you. When people step up to test a microphone, you get lots of testing, testing, one, two, three, hello, hello, can you hear me? Then a funny thing happens and microphone testers almost universally in the English speaking world begin to recite a poem. And what do they recite? Mary had a little lamb, its place was white and snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. <laughs> the poem was published in 1830 by Sarah Josepha Hale, who was born October 24, 1788, long before the invention of the electronic microphone. Founder of the Seamen's Aid Society to help the families of sailors lost at sea and a campaigner to make Thanksgiving an American holiday. She became editor of the Ladies Magazine, later becoming Godley's Lady Book. Or as editress, editress of the magazine with the largest circulation in America, she was one of the most influential arbiters of taste in society. She was the Devil Wears Prada of her era. Mm. Hale passed away in the year 1877, aged 89. In that same year, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph and the first thing he recorded on his new device were the opening lines of the poem, Mary's Lamb. And by this act, the new technology of sound production became indelibly linked to that simple poem. Oh, that is yeah, interesting. Right. I didn't know that, that they knew the origin of that poem. But do you think we're introverts or extroverts, <laughs> you and I? I think we're pretty extroverts in a way. Um, I yeah. think, well, Probably. I think we like being behind the microphone and doing the, the talking and the storytelling and the presenting thing. I'm not so good in a crowd or a party or yeah, meeting lots and of I'm people, but... Either. Yeah, but I liked it this yeah. way. Safe distance. Yeah, because <laughs> like, we could talk to you out there, but you can't, you can't talk back. You can't talk back and say that's rubbish. They've got that all wrong, or they can't say, "What are they on to?" You know. Oh, having said that, I will ad ad accept any feedback you want to send our way. Do feel free to go ahead and tell us what you want. Oh, be careful what you wish for, Amy. Uh, Amy, do you know what special day this is today? Um, 2nd of November. November. No, I can't say I have any particular... If I said Mexico, would that give you a clue? Oh, is it Day of the Dead today? It is the day, Dia de los Muertos. De los day Muertos. Of the day yeah. of the Dead. Or the, the Christian tradition and uh, the Catholic Church would call it All Souls Day, but... Yes. Yeah, thanks to UNESCO and the global uh, sharing of information, Dia de los Muritos is more popular than ever uh, in Mexico and it's increasingly popular abroad. And for more than a dozen years, the New York based non profit cultural organization Mano a Mano 
which is Mexican culture without borders, Trump wouldn't like that, has staged the city's largest Day of the Dead celebration, though the most authentic ones are of course still taking place in Mexico. The beautiful Mexican craft is seen uh, in stateside restaurants. It's called Papel Picado, and a literal translation of that is pierced paper. And artisans stack coloured tissue paper in dozens of layers, and then they perforate the layers with a hammer and chisel points, and they drape it round the street altars. And the art represents, and I love this, the wind and the frailty of life. Um, calavera or calavera means uh, skull and it originated several thousand years ago with the Aztec, Toltec and Nahua people uh, considering it disrespectful to mourn their dead as the dead were considered part of the living community and they were kept alive in memory and spirit. Well, UNESCO has added the holiday to its list of, and get this, intangible cultural heritage of humanity. <laughs> Mightful, isn't it? And today, the Mexicans from diverse religious and ethnic uh, backgrounds all celebrate Dia de los Moritos. Is that more? De los muertos. 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 And you love those skulls. I do, yes. So I, I painted one of my cities with a, a skull for last Halloween. I think you have to explain what your city is. Oh, yes. One of, um, no, no, I probably better not. We're not allowed to, to paint our city. They're not going to know. I, uh, no, I'm, I'm afraid I probably better not. <laughs> well, but anyway, I painted. Uh, I painted a, a little icon with a um, with a skull face with all jewels and sparkly things on it, and it was pretty scary looking. I was quite proud of it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna finish off with a bit here before we do the uh, uh, quiz answers, and this came from a Facebook page uh, that uh, one of our listeners uh, posted. And I've asked him, does he mind if we put it on? And he had shared it from the Glen Gat Guest House, which is in Camberville uh, in Dundalk in County Loud. And they shared this interesting fact, which was sent to them by a New Yorker called Rich Jackson, who had spent many happy times in their guest house during the Dundalk Maytime Festival. And he returns there often, well, whenever he can, when we're not in lockdown. And he sent them this little bit from the Milwaukee Irish paper. And it's uh, Prison for Kissing, and it's a newspaper article from 1938. And I do have permission from the uh, guest house to use mm -hmm. this, and Rich Jackson. Julia Clark, a Glasgow girl, who was seen kissing a boyfriend in public in Black Rock, an Irish seacoast village, was sentenced by a Dundalk court recently to one month imprisonment. The kissing took place on church property. <gasps> the local vigilante committee was shocked and the Dundalk justices were so scandalised that although Miss Clark already had returned home to Glasgow, they passed the sentence with a view to keeping her out of the country forever. Unquote. <laughs> the boyfriend.
Graham already had been before the court and he was ordered to give two pounds to St Vincent de Paul Society. <laughs> Miss Clark goes down in legal history as the first girl to be prosecuted under a two-year-old statute known as Mr Eamon de Valera's Vice Act. And the sentence cannot be enforced unless she returns to Black Rock. Now, how would you fancy of being uh, in Eamon de Valera's Ireland in 1938? 1938? Yeah. When you couldn't kiss a boy. Church property, no. Church property, like, yes. Like, get it I right. forgot that bit. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and actually, was... I, I checked this up and I went on to uh, a site and there's actually a really old black and white video clip of this girl kissing uh, the boy. <laughs> she's smiling into this uh, old-fashioned uh, black and white. It's on YouTube, uh, and that's Miss Clark. And there's just a tiny wee black and white clip of her on YouTube. And you can't, of course, hear what she was saying because it would have been yeah. silent at the time. But she's smiling and nodding, so it's obvious that somebody is in her. She's saying. Here, Eamon de Valera, come and get me. Come and get me if you think you're hard enough. There you go. <laughs> Thank you to the Glen Gap Guest House and Mr. Rich Jackson, a New Yorker who spends time there. And uh, thank you for that bit posting on Facebook. So will we conclude with our answers for the November quiz? Go on, test me, mother, test me. <laughs> okay, all right. November is the only month to be mentioned by name in what? A. The Doomsday Book, B. Shakespeare's Plays, or C. The Phonetic Alphabet? Okay, this one I'm going to go with the Phonetic Alphabet because there are the Ides of March in one of Shakespeare's plays, and the Doomsday Book is all about dates, I think, so yeah. All right, we give you this. The answer is C. November is indeed the only month used in the phonetic alphabet. In fact, November is not mentioned in any Shakespeare plays, and the Doomsday Book was commissioned by William II to take stock of the land and what dues were owed by year from each shire. One up, Amy. Okay, let's see if we can make them take it too. What are the birthstones for the month of November? A. Topaz and Citrine, B. Tourmaline and Opal, or C. Tanzanite and Torquoise? I have no idea about this one. I'm going to go Tanzanite and Torquoise. No, no, I'm afraid not this time. No, 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 no. The answer is actually A. I suppose anybody has a birthday in November yes, will know this. And everybody else won't. <laughs> Topaz and citrine are the birthstones for November. They're both known for their calming energies, bringing warmth and fortune to those who wear them. Topaz in particular symbolizes friendship and is said to cure madness and eliminate nightmares. We should get some of that in the night. <laughs> Pure topaz is colourless, but common forms range from a brownish orange to yellow. Citrine is coloured yellow and is said to spark imagination and symbolise new beginnings. Tourmaline and opal are actually the stones for October, just gone by, while tanzanite and turquoise are the stones for December. And the origin of birthstones, do you know where they come from? No, something to do with horoscopes. And no, the horoscope 
and birthstones all came from the Bible, believe it or not. The origins of birthstones is based on the breastplate of the biblical Aaron, who is reputed to have had 12 gems in the plate representing the 12 tribes, tribes of Israel. So there you go. We maybe do a wee bit about that because I wrote uh, a little bit about all the birthstones and what they symbolised on the breastplate. So we'll maybe have a go at that, you know, in the future. Elections are held in the United States on what day of the week in November? A. Mondays, B. Tuesdays, or C. Thursdays? Oh, well, if you don't know this by now, I don't know where you've been. Uh, it's Tuesday? Yes. Answer is B. Elections are held every four years in the United States on the Tuesday following the first Monday in November. And when the US government was first formed, only white men over the age of 21 were allowed to vote. Over the years, this was changed to include everyone, regardless of race or gender, provided they were citizens of the USA and over the age of 18. Black women didn't gain the right to vote until 1920, and even then not in all the states. Okay. Right, according to research published in 2008, what group are most likely to be born in November? A, monarchs, like kings and queens, don't mean butterflies. A, B, a serial killers, or C, politicians. What do you think? I think I will guess it's serial killers. Very good. Answer is B. According to research, how did they do this research? In, 20, in 2008. They don't so, need to do research, they just look at the gems that they're wearing and they go, <laughs> You've got your citrine on, I know you. <laughs> in 2008, they find that serial killers are most likely to celebrate a birthday in November. This month also sees a lot of schizophrenics. And researchers believe there are correlations between birth months and specific health problems. And the month the baby is born can influence everything from its intelligence to its length of life. GPs and debt collectors are more likely to be born in January. February increases your chances of being an artist. That's when I was born. And you were born in uh, what I was that? January. Yeah, was January. The debt collector. Debt collector. Amy's the uh -huh. debt collector. February increases your chances of being an artist. March is good for pilots. April has a high quota of dictators like Hitler and Saddam Hussein. Summer births mean a lower chance of becoming a high-earning footballer or a doctor or a dentist. While September occupations were greatest by percentage for producing sportsmen and women and physicists. December is rich in dentists and messiahs. <laughs> Every type from Jesus to Stalin. <laughs> okay. On November, last question, on November the 30th, 1952, the first documented occurrence of what kind of event was recorded? Now, recorded, okay. A, a teenager held her breath underwater for 33 minutes. B, a human being was struck by lightning. Or C, a human being was struck by a meteor. Okay, what year did you say? 1952. 52. 
I think people probably writing about being struck by lightning before that. What were the other two? There was holding your breath. Held your and... breath underwater for 33 minutes. A human being been struck by lightning or a human being was struck by a meteor. Now, the thing here is the recorder. It was yeah, recorded. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Meteor. Correct. Yeah, I, sir. Yeah, the first authenticated incident of a person being struck by a meteorite was in Alabama in 1954, in which a woman received painful bruises when struck by a 3.9 uh, kilogram meteorite. It had penetrated the roof of her home, ricocheted off her radio. And more recently, in February 2016, for the first time, a bus driver in southern Italy, uh, India was killed by an object believed to be a meteorite. A NASA person said that as yet the report was unconfirmed. However, a large crater nearby was explored by researchers and large bits of stone or metal taken away for examination. Well, by my count there, I got four out of five. Yeah, I think you did. I think I got four Pretty out of five. Good. That doubled my estimate. Ah, so excellent. I'm going to say January must be a good month for quiz quiz experts to okay, be born. Do you think so? I'll let you off for that. Thank you very much for listening to our November edition of the Amy and Flo Talking Magazine show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we will be back in December. Christmas time, folks. Oh, hard to believe it'll be our big Christmas annual. It'll be like when you got a Beano. <laughs> when did you ever get a Beano? I got a Beano every single year, mother. You think I don't remember? Oh. So if you have enjoyed listening to the t this edition, please um, send a link to your friends. Let them know, especially your friends in those other countries that my mum is so keen to hear from France, Spain, Italy and a couple of Canadians. Come on now, I have friends in Canada. You're on our hit list. Tune in and listen. If you do like it, please subscribe as well. And then you'll get a little flag every time we release something new. And we are sending out some of our, um, our archive material as well to um, keep things going throughout the month. So I really hope you enjoyed it. Tonight, our articles have been from the BBC, The Guardian, Donald Clancy's Mindship blog. And mine have been from the Irish News, the Newsletter and the National Geographic. National Geographic, get her! <laughs> <laughs> hope you enjoyed listening. Please do tune in again next time. Goodbye. Thank you.